0: Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host Nikki Rousseau. And it's my absolute pleasure to introduce you to the robotics community and people working in it. Today is our last recording for 2023. I hope you've enjoyed all the guests that I've had on the podcast this year. And I'm looking forward to introducing you to more next year. Today, I have a very special guest the Lark is a performing artist who performs with prosthetics, robotics, and online interactivity. His works explore human-machine interfaces. He has experimented with actual virtual systems and incorporated genetic algorithms and machine learning in some of his performances. He has been designated honorary professor of art and robotics at Carnegie Mellon University, Pittsburgh in 1997. In 2002, he received an honorary doctorate of law from Monash University, and in 2017 he received an honorary doctorate from the Ionian University in Corfu. We met in Canberra as we were both waiting to be picked up by Professor Damath Herath for a panel discussion on should sex robots have the boat earlier this year in Canberra. I was pleasantly surprised to hear uh, that is a sunshine boy and of course being in Melbourne that's just warmed my heart so Salak, welcome and thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks, Nikki.
0: <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure having you here. How and why did you become interested in incorporating robotics and technology in your art?
1: Oh, some of the early performances really explored embodiment issues of identity. And it quickly became apparent that, you know, technology is increasingly part of our, our environment. We're increasingly having to interact with it. Uh, It's mediated a lot of our, you know, experiences. It enhances our cognitive abilities through computation. So all of these kind of factors, I think, and my general interest in the body and how it interfaces with the world, you know, led to the first augmentation of the body, which was a third hand.
0: (laughs) So I've looked around and I haven't found, I don't think i found any other artists in the world doing what you do. Do you know of anyone else?
1: Oh, I think there are artists who are generally interested in uh, art and technology and um, not so many performance artists as such. I can think of one who's in Barcelona, Marceli Artúnez Roca, who has used technology in various ways in his performances. But really no one else comes to mind. Of course, in terms of installations and other other works, you know, there are many younger artists who do work with robotics.
0: But probably not to the extent that you've gone that you've actually embedded things in your actual body. So
1: Yeah, well
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're taking things to the edge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, so- I've I've been interested in prosthetics and robotics um since the early 70s. And so in various ways, augmenting, inserting technology inside my body. I mean, I'm referring to the stomach sculpture project where a project that was uh, inserted into my stomach with the help of a friendly endoscopist. But this object, if you think of it as a a kind of an operational mechanism that opens and closes, extends and retracts. As a flashing light and a beeping sound, so imagine this inside an internal organ of the body. I I, I mean, uh, Marshall McLuhan uh, once defined technology as the external organs of the body, and I was very seduced by this this idea because, uh, of course, it was a, a a way of describing how technology has become an additional membrane of the body's experiences but then i thought well you know because of biocompatible materials because we can scale our technologies down now can safely incorporate them inside the human body Uh, the stomach sculpture in fact was a a fairly large object fully deployed inside the stomach It, it was about the size of my fist So the idea was really not only to simply swallow some small capsule and conveniently (laughs) position it inside the stomach, but rather to see if you could insert an object that fully closed was a capsule structure, but with a simple worm screw and link mechanism, you could deploy it once inside the inflated stomach and uh, we we also had an endoscope filming uh, the whole process and it took two days and six insertions to uh, fully document this project.
0: You mentioned the surgeon I imagine there would have been some complexities around this and finding someone who would have actually want to undertake something like this with you.
1: Well, the endoscopist, yes, it was difficult to find someone. And we had to also do it within five minutes of a hospital because, uh, you know, there was the potential of the um, of the sculpture not closing because uh, the worm screw and link mechanism was a fairly reliable mechanism and it was actuated by a flexi-drive cable to a servo motor which was sort of, of course, outside the the body. But if the little object jammed, if we couldn't close it, then of course we couldn't extract it from my stomach. It, it was tethered, of course, so we had to do it within a within a hospital. And um, fortunately, everything worked okay.
0: And do you have any concerns for yourself any time going? into something like these projects do you worry about your own health or anything or do you just think no, this is going to be fine
1: well you know you do you do uh, consider all the problems both medical and and technical and because this body is a convenient body to experiment on there are no sort of issues uh, ethical issues involved other other than my uh, my own concerns and my own safety but you know All these projects are a challenge and as a performance artist, you have to take the physical consequences for your ideas. What's important is to not only to have an idea, ideas are easy. Uh, What's important is to actualize the idea physically in some way to fully experience it and then hopefully have something meaningful to say afterwards about it all.
0: And how did you come across the stomach sculpture idea in the first incident and how long from inception to actuality did it take you?
1: It was kind of within a fairly limited time. I guess from the idea to the realisation was probably no more than five or six months. I I was invited to the fifth sculpture triennial whose theme was site-specific works. (laughs) but but instead of a sculpture for a public space I decided well what about a sculpture for a a private physiological space so the body here becomes the host for its own work of art Uh, the body is no longer simply a site for the psyche or for social inscription but rather uh, the body becomes a host simply for a sculpture so that was the kind of rationale and um, getting that invitation for the fifth Australian Sculpture Triennale. This was going back to 1993, by the way. Yeah. That's what really focused uh, me in completing the project within a limited time. I had to get the help of a, of a jeweler because, you know, part of the components were fairly small to make, and also a microsurgery instrument maker who had to do something under magnification. But the most difficult thing was really finding an endoscopist who would help you, but he he did agree to do it reluctantly, but also to do it sort of incognito. He didn't really want any publicity about it, which was understandable
0: of course, of course. So tell us about your Stickman project. It was a minimal but full body exoskeleton. And how did you perform with that? And how did the robot operate? And and this was for an Adelaide festival that you did?
1: Well, yeah, it was, um, it was actually for the 2020 Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art. And this was a project that was commissioned uh, for, for the Art Gallery of South Australia. And it was nine meters long four meters high so it had to occupy a very large space and because it was rotating continuously on its axis it really was difficult to make space for this in in the art gallery it was uh, pneumatically actuated by Festo rubber muscles which are industrially robust and and reliable so as the muscles expand in girth Uh, They contract about 20% of their length, producing a a pulling force. So these muscles were kind of function in a very kind of anatomical way. There were six degrees of freedom with the limb motions of the robot, uh, which I could actuate with a pair of pneumatic joysticks and, of course, the continuous rotation on its axis. And there was a performance also where the body was positioned on the torso of the robot. And I was kind of improvising with both online and local interactivity. So people who came to the gallery could, in fact, choreograph the movements of the robot through a panel of switches, whereupon also people on the internet could log in and actuate the robot remotely via virtual switches. And in fact, this was the only project that was operational during the pandemic uh closing of the of the uh, art gallery Uh, the art gallery was closed for about a month month and a half and um, anyone anywhere at any time could access the robot and remotely choreograph it so if you can imagine halfway through the night someone from europe (laughs) or you know early morning someone from the us would animate the robot uh, um, uh, some, sometimes scaring the security guards um, but uh, yeah a lot of the recent projects do involve uh, audience interaction the other one that's related I guess is the um, the stickman uh, full-body exoskeleton yeah. it's a minimal uh, but full-body exoskeleton uh, again with uh, six degrees of freedom and for five hours continuously, uh, the, uh, uh, the body was algorithmically actuated by the exoskeleton. But in more recent iterations of the project, and one was uh, performed at RMIT Gallery for the Future U exhibition, uh, with that one, we had also engineered a, a mini Stickman uh, interface, a physical object that resembled the, the, the exoskeleton so people who visited the gallery could manipulate the limbs of the mini stick uh, stickman man interface press play and they would insert their choreography into the performance so I didn't quite know and in what way my body would uh, would be animated so it's this kind of it's not so much an issue of people controlling the artist in the exoskeleton, but rather constructing more complex and interactive operational systems. Seeing the body not simplistically as a, a biological body kind of functioning in a local space in proximity to others, but rather a body that can be extended, that can perform Beyond the local space that it inhabits, and in fact, beyond the skin of the body. So that was the kind of rationale for this. But also, it meant that when I wasn't performing, what could happen was that the installation remains. So uh, people could interact with uh, the Stickman exoskeleton in a similar way, but without the artist attached. And actually, it was probably better without me there anyway. Uh, um, we we had projected um, a shadow of the of the uh, stick man and also a video feedback projection. So during the performance, although I was uh, essentially actuated by the exoskeleton, I had one leg to stand on, one leg to balance. So I could pivot on that leg, manipulate the shadow on the wall, in other words, construct a a more interesting image on the wall uh, and also modify the video feedback that was being projected as well on on the adjacent wall. So it wasn't simplistically, uh, I mean, there was the agency of the artist also incorporated into uh, the performance.
0: It's absolutely fascinating and I'm particularly interested in how audiences are now also more participating in in art and um, exhibitions and probably would have been, on the one hand, fortuitous that it happened during COVID because I imagine, like, people are looking for things to do and they find this and you would have had people from all over the world um, interacting.
1: I think it's important with contemporary art, especially that it's not it's simplistically something that you see and you reflect upon in a kind of Cartesian way. So the, the, the artwork is not simply a, a separate object, but something that you can interact with. And that makes the experience more performative, and uh, not only for the artist, but, but also uh, for the audience. And one of the earlier performances in 1995, uh, the Telepolis performance, my body was in Luxembourg and people from the Pompidou Centre in Paris, uh, the Media Lab in Helsinki, the Doors of Perception Conference in Amsterdam, uh, they were able to remotely access my body and remotely activated, this time via a, a muscle stimulation system so only through sets of electrodes positioned over over my uh, arm and leg muscles uh, via a touch screen interface so by touching the the computer model of the body the computer model would simulate the movement that they've just programmed and a second later in luxembourg where my my body was my body would involuntarily uh move so It was kind of, uh, it was really experiencing a machinic operation of, of the physical body itself. So in other words, people were programming my body to move in a particular way. I didn't know how I was going to move, when I was going to move. And this performance illustrates how it was not simplistically observed by the audience, but it was initiated and completed by the audience. Basically, nothing happened unless someone interacted with with my body. And what they didn't realize also was when they animated my body, they also generated body signals and sounds, brainwaves, heartbeat, blood flow, muscle signals. So the choreography of the body movements uh, composed the sounds that they were hearing. (laughs) <laughs>
0: absolutely fascinating so your work affords you the privilege of uh, meeting other very very interesting people such as yourself and you went to Hong Kong a few months ago and did a tape discussion with David Hansen of Hansen Robotics and Sophia Robot what were you chatting about
1: oh it was it was pretty much a, um, a, a, a I wouldn't say scripted but uh, certainly a structured uh video because it was you know uh, fairly short i think there were two three or four minute uh, sessions that that have been put online and the discussion was between myself and david who i've known a long time and uh, and sophia who now has a chat gpt brain like most of the humanoid robots now um so we were discussing various Philosophical and and um, utilitarian uh, possibilities with humanoid robots. I mean, why humanoid robots? Of course, there's biomimicry, a genre of robotics uh, that's been happening for quite a while. I mean, the Boston Dynamics robots that that I personally saw. So with the Boston Dynamic uh, dynamic Robots, um, the dog-like robots are very seductive with their mammalian gait. Um, but w- why humanoid robots? Well, you know, we communicate via facial expressions, uh, with natural language, using our voices. We project intelligence to a, a robot that looks like us, speaks like us can respond adequately to our queries so it was interesting to interact with the Sophia robot and we were able to sort of discuss a a number of different issues and concerns about agency identity uh, the future of robotics
0: so you literally just returned from Japan last night. So thank you so much. I realize you must uh, be a little bit tired and I thank you for coming on this morning. You on a panel for robotics for shaping the future, which was a theme for this year's Tokyo Forum. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yes, well, it, it featured uh, Ishiguro, uh, Hiroshi Ishiguro, the humanoid robotics um, engineer, Dominic Lestel, a uh, French philosopher, mostly doing work on animal, on the other, the animal and the other. And, of course, this have, has relevance to our approach and interaction with robots. And Professor Yoon from KAIST, and it was moderated by uh, Jean-Tien Venture from the the School of Engineering at Tokyo University. So it was an interesting discussion, ranging from, again, concerns about AI and the direction robotics might be taking uh, to more speculative uses of robots. I spoke mostly, about, uh, I guess, about how we can now nanoscale Sensors and construct simple robots, fabricate simple nano robots. We don't have an adequate internal surveillance system to indicate what's happening pathologically uh, at a cellular level. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea that a sensor, a, a nanoscaled sensor, a nanoscaled robot might be able to detect pathological changes in. Chemistry, temperature, blockages in circulatory systems, um, and if if the first signs of pathological cells uh, can be detected, they can be more easily uh, eradicated. Um, so, of course, that was the, the 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 sort of medical possibilities with with nanoscaled robots and the idea that we could uh, repopulate the human body with technology. I mean, the technology in the future might be invisible because it'll be all inside the human body. And the possibility that we also might be able not only to repair the body atoms up inside out, but possibly redesign the human body atoms up inside out. This would happen so incrementally and, of course, invisibly that you might not even realize what's happening until uh, visually you could see the changes at, at a surface level. Anyway, <laughs> that, was, that was my more sort of uh, futuristic speculation. Uh, but, uh, you know, Hiroshi pointed out how humanoid robots can be used uh, for caring the aged, for assisting in in hospitals.
0: So do you see us adopting more robots in our everyday lives in the coming years? And I think, you know, Japan is a, is a country that already uses a lot of robotics.
1: Yes, I think. And that was a point made during the uh, panel discussion that There's no concern, as we have in the West, uh, to incorporating more and more robots uh, in society for all all sorts of utilitarian reasons, for caring, for servicing the, the human. I think what's interesting is the different kinds of robots, not limited to humanoid robots, but There'll be a multiplicity of robots in different forms, with different functions, and of course, a proliferation of humanoids that we will be constantly uh, interacting with. And I think it's really a matter of the zeitgeist of our time that we are getting more and more uh, comfortable and conditioned to interact socially with robots, uh, not only in the workforce, but possibly engaging in all sorts of other activities. I was giving a um, keynote to a a body hacking conference about seven or eight years ago. And what was interesting for me then was a girl who came to the conference who had an artificial leg and uh, it was a 3D printed, beautifully designed leg. It was not... A cosmetically fashioned one, as uh, was the case with one of the other participants who, who didn't have um, an arm, and his prosthetic arm was carbon fibre, you know, stainless steel. People are getting used to seeing prosthetic attachments to the body that are not, you know, uh, trying to mimic or trying to make them look cosmetic. Uh, which sometimes is a bit creepy, you know, that this is this, this is kind of a silicon hand. Uh, and that's creepy, but we're much more comfortable now with this. So and with with my third hand, um, when it was first engineered in 1980, and at the time, it was sophisticated enough to be to get invitations from the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena and the Johnson Space Center in Houston to demonstrate the hand to the extravehicular activity group. But at that time, I had made a cosmetic cover for the mechanism. And to be honest, I decided uh, not to use it at all to expose the the mechanism, the stainless steel, aluminium and, and acrylic uh, components. And I think now we're we're very comfortable with this idea that prosthetics and robotics uh, can be aesthetically appreciated in their own materiality, that we don't have to mimic the actual appearance and cosmetic feel of the human for it to be acceptable.
0: So, like, I'm mindful of your time. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. What does 2024 hold for you?
1: Well, there are there are two new projects, and one funded by the ICER Lab in uh, Paris at the Sorbonne, and that's underway already. Yeah. And that'll be a whole arm, yeah. a whole arm attached to to my body as a as an extra arm, and this will be a double jointed arm so for example the fingers can bend one way the thumb can rotate you've got a right hand but the fingers can bend completely the other way the thumb can rotate backwards so you have a left hand and a right hand all in the one uh sort of universal design elbow is also double jointed it's an eye in hand uh, a small camera in the palm of the artificial arm and so performatively, this will be very interesting. You'll be able to perform with an extra arm that can switch from a left, a left arm to a right arm, from a left hand to a right hand. And uh, the eye in hand, the camera, the disembodied eye will be able to produce an image that can be projected. I'll be able to get close-ups of my body and the exoskeleton the hand exoskeleton that i'll be wearing that will actuate and animate the artificial arm so it will be interesting visually and in terms of how it's controlled and then an even more ambitious project funded in barcelona And this involves a a mobile robot platform using mechanum wheels. The artist will be on this mobile platform with an industrial arm. And uh, I'll be able with a pair of joysticks, the left hand, for example, controlling the, the movements, the choreography of the, of the robot platform of the omnidirectional robot platform, my right hand, for example, joystick will control the seven degree of freedom movements of the robot arm the title of that project is the sound of one arm clapping (laughs) (laughs) so there's a sort of a gripper clipper attached to the end of the robot arm uh, that will occasionally make a clapping sound and so, so this will also be remotely interactive. So for example, if you go online and draw a graphical line, you'll be able to get the platform actually uh, moving in that way. And you'll be able to get the robot to to occasionally clap. But again, it's a it's a choreography of of movement and sound. And if the artist is not performing on the robot, the uh, support structure for the body will kind of indicate a a kind of a human trace, And of course, that can perform on its own in an exhibition that might last for three months we know when the art is not there. So they're they're two new projects that should be completed by the end of next year. They're both underway at the moment at at various stages. Pretty excited about this, because it just generates new performative uh, possibilities.
0: Oh, look, I think it's going to be fantastic. When will the one in Paris be?
1: Well, that's going to that's going to take pretty much the whole year. Okay. But we we've already talked to the curators at the Palais de Tokyo, mm-hmm. which is uh, an exhibition and performance space in Paris, and we'll be performing there. And uh, with the omnidirectional robot platform, the sound of one arm clapping. Ars Electronica in Linz, which is the sort of major media arts festival, will be performing there. Now we're not sure if that's going to be completed by September of next year, which is when Ars Electronica is happening, but it will certainly happen the following year if if not if not in 24 in 2025.
0: Uh, It's absolutely so much to look forward to. Um, I'll be following you, and I'm I'm sure we all have an opportunity to speak again. Um, Thank you so much for your time. I wish you the very happiest festive season, and um, thank you for joining me today.
1: Well, thank you very much, Nikki. Thanks.
0: And to our audience, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode. Um, Stella, where can they reach you if they want to have a chat with you?
1: Okay. Well, I I, I do uh, have an email. I'm transitioning from the original email. So my email now is uh, Stellark, S T E L A R C, uh, the numeral one. So Stellark1 at gmail.com. Um, and I do have a, a website um, uh, at Stellark.org um which uh, is not completely up to date
0: (laughs) (laughs) but it contains
1: the the major the major projects there
0: super duper i'll put those in the show notes and to our audience thank you for joining me again Um, and if you've been uh, listening during year thank you for your support i hope you have a wonderful um, festive season end of year rest look after yourself be safe and i look forward to your company in 2024